Hi, I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop, the fortunate host of our Mental Health for Performance podcast. Glad you could make it. I've been waiting to share this conversation since the moment I caught up with Terry Dennis Davies, Chief People and Inclusion Officer at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Now, I know that's a pretty big title, but I also want you to know that she is an incredibly strong and yet warm woman who is not only concerned with success and performing well, but also being well while doing it. She works in an industry where you would think the message is to win at all costs, but it isn't. Taking care of the people she leads is of utmost importance to her. And in turn, that is creating a winning environment. For her, it's all about mental health for performance. And we are really thankful to Pinnacle for helping us bring this to you. Pinnacle, your recruitment firm that has been proudly on the job for the past 20 years. And we hope that after you have heard Terry's story and felt her passion for the wellness of those who are led by her, you will be motivated to do the same. Now, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Those are big words that carry a lot of weight, especially in society today. And I asked Terry to break it down for us, starting with who Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is. And of course, I thanked her for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm excited. Yeah, and Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is an organization with a very unique portfolio, right? So um, we have a number of professional sports teams um, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Toronto Raptors, Toronto TFC, and our, our football team, the Argos. So, and then we have a number of junior league teams as well. And so I think we have nine sports teams if you count our our digital team as well. So that is one aspect of our portfolio, but those brands are tremendous. And so I think, you know, sometimes people think about the Leafs and the Raptors in isolation, but but they are part of MLSE's portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also, we're in the live entertainment business. So we've got um, a partnership with, with Live Nation. And so we work with our partners and putting on live events all year long, uh, concerts, uh, everything from Disney on ice to Lady Gaga and everything in between. And so um, in addition to that, we, we have a, a community um, facility that we operate called Launchpad. Um, and an MLSE foundation that's been uh, in our community for over a decade, uh, really working closely with community leaders um, and community activists in eliminating and breaking down barriers for youth that are youth-based um, in accessing sports. So um, it's, a, it's a very interesting portfolio, and I'm really thrilled to be a part of the organization. For sure. Now, this is fairly new for you to be in the position that you're in. I mean, in the whole scheme of life. So I think it would be really interesting for people to know how you got here. You know, I don't know that a young girl would have dreams of being where you are. I mean, or even dare to dream to be in a position where you deal with these organizations. And, and having said that, when you deal with these organizations, just to get a picture, do you deal with sort of the head honchos of like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Raptors and all those? Yes, I do. So I think the first part of uh, answering your question is is really, um, this is one of those examples of possibilities that exist that you don't even know about. And so you spend your whole career 
um, sort of preparing for the opportunity when it comes up and and hoping that the the two universes align, right? Sort of timing and experience and capability. And so, I mean, I I just uh, joined MLSE from financial services uh, after 14 years as as uh, working in in a bank uh, as an executive and and, and did not think about um, you know stepping into the sports entertainment industry, quite frankly. But the opportunity came about. Uh, in the summer of 2020, and there was a real, you know, social justice movement occurring um, as a result of sort of the global response to the murder of George Floyd. And it was a really reflective time for individuals, for organizations to think about how they might do things differently. And so MLSE went through the same reflective period and and thought, you know, we have a real platform that we take very seriously. Um, and we want to ensure that we're using that platform thoughtfully uh, to advance social justice, to amplify um, the voices of our employees, uh, those of our players who are active in this space. And 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 from that evolved uh, a role, a new role, and and it was senior vice president of uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And uh, and then a, a former colleague of mine told me about the opportunity, and the rest is history. You know, a few conversations uh, into it, I started to learn about this organization and a unique moment in time to drive impact through a whole variety of channels that already existed in the organization and really leveraging all of those channels to drive the greatest impact. So that's how I ended up in this space with you today, even. Yeah, no kidding. Because we yeah. want to pass on to so many corporations and leaders in businesses, but those even who are in the workplace, just themselves, just living in it, trying to be their best selves every day. But I think leaders will really get a lot from our from our conversation uh, today. Uh, what, what was that moment like for you uh, watching that whole George Floyd incident? Does that make you even obviously even more passionate about about what you're doing moving forward? Well, I mean, listen, that affected me personally on on many levels. You know, as a uh, a black individual from the United States, I certainly understand uh, the racial sort of history and the journey of of that country. Um, and as a mother, I watched in disbelief, as everyone did around the world, in seeing someone lose their their life in front of our eyes, asking for their mother. So mm-hmm. I think as uh, as a as a human, uh, it was very troubling, and that that's really an understatement. And so I think that has helped to shape, um, I think, an understanding globally of of this isn't just one incident, unfortunately, that occurs. It's one that was captured on on video. Um, but I, I think in terms of the experience of of black individuals uh, in in our world in the United States, it was just an example. Um, and I think, you know, really brought a level of awareness to the systemic challenges faced by marginalized communities. And again, gave opportunities to organizations like MLSE to use its platform 
to do things differently and to drive impact and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And for you to feel that in such a real way, having lived some of that, right? And, and you know, being who you are, I mean, it gives such validity to your position and to what you're saying and, and what you're feeling. I, I love that. that so, so this has opened this opportunity for MLSE. That's right. And that's where you sit. And we talked about the three words, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I would love from your perspective, coming and sitting in your seat, you know, that's in your title. I would love to break that down. How do you understand each of those terms and how would you help us understand what is equity? Uh, how would you explain what equity is and what you're trying to do? For me, equity is really about understanding the, the starting line. And whether that access to the starting line is a comparable starting line for everyone. So, you know, is, is the starting line, um, well, let's just say it's a race, like, you know, well, we'll keep it in the sports family. So, <laughs> you know, is, is that starting line really the same for all 10 people that are lined up in, in their lanes or, if you look at sort of what it, what barriers existed for each of them to get to that starting point, you know, are they equally equipped to excel once the gun, the gun is, you know, goes off, so to speak. And so, you know, it, it's, it's both dealing with, you know, how hard do we make it for people to get to the starting line? And, you know, are those barriers preventing some people from even getting in the race uh, and being able to demonstrate their full potential because they're not able to, to actually access um, the event and trying to remove those barriers so that you do get the best and the most talented, but it's not because of, you know, these barriers that are, they, they really are a part of, of how we live. They're so ingrained in history, culture, practice, you know, even political agendas, um, infrastructure, you know, healthcare, it's so much a part of, of how we operate day in and day out. It's really just how do we think through a different lens of, you know, is it really equitable um, at, at the starting point versus, um, you know, it, it is different from equal, because you know, we're not talking about equality in the same way. Like, you know, are we getting uh, equal pay for the work that's done that is the same work? It, it's really, do we enable and facilitate equitable access to the job in the first place? And what barriers are in place that prevent someone from even being aware or knowledgeable or to see the opportunity uh, that exists, let alone equal pay, right? So- Right. It's that opportunity first that needs to be a part of it. Um, what about diversity? Yeah, I was quite intentional um, and deliberate in, in my title because I knew that there were a lot of um, organizations seeking um, diversity specialists, um, but I wanted it to be very clear that without equity, then you you won't achieve diversity. You won't achieve diverse outcomes because your starting point is the wrong starting point. Like you're you're assuming that everybody is um, or has the same access to opportunity when that just does not factually exist. 
And so we must really get at the systemic barriers first, and then we should be able to achieve um, diversity as an outcome of that, because then the barriers are gone, right? right? So conceptually, it's really just dealing with the root cause first, which is inequitable access or Mm -hmm. inequitable practices that serve as a barrier to people having, um, to achieving their full potential. And then uh, diversity and inclusion are really outcomes of that. And um, you, you really can't have uh, inclusion without diversity, but you you won't get diversity, true diversity, unless you have dealt with the inequitable practices and systemic barriers that exist. So that's that's how we came up with the title and, and that's how we came up with uh, the framework for our practice. Wow. Now, is that where the influence of the athletes and the organization that you are leading now comes in? Is that what you're, you know, is that what you're hoping that they'll reach the grassroots to, to make sure those opportunities are there. So, so we're, we're tackling it through uh, multiple channels. And if you deal with the organizational portfolio, um, you know, you have the sports teams and the athletes who are distinct and, and individual members of our organization um, who have their own contracts also belong to leagues and are governed by various frameworks. Um, and so helping those individuals do their job to the best of their ability and feel like they belong to an organization where they're valued and can contribute and understand the purpose and can use their platform if they wish to, to advance that purpose, I think is what we're trying to achieve. So it's really harmonizing those efforts where they exist and those interests in a way that's going to drive the most impact. So if you have individuals on our hockey team who are interested in, you know, um, advancing youth athletics in a way that is aligned with what our Raptors are doing, is aligned with what our TFC and Argos are doing, then we'll try to integrate those initiatives so that it's it's more of a um, enterprise impact that we can drive through an activation versus each one doing it in their own vertical, which also is something that can be achieved. I think that's where my role and my team really try to enable the organization to understand where we have those horizontal connections and we can drive greater impact and where individual teams or individual players, you know, work with our foundation and our community partners to do what is of interest to them. Yeah, so neat. When you when you even started explaining the portfolio and, and just how Maple Leaf Sports is working, you know, you talked about that community involvement and getting into the community and even, you know, your your launchpad program and that and like really actually hands-on reaching youth. Maybe tell us a little bit more of, about that and how you're reaching into the community that way. Yeah, so our foundation um, has been a part of the community, as I said, for over a decade. And really what they are very good at is, first of all, fundraising um, and and using those, um, those dollars to develop programming that helps our youth prepare to be their most productive version of themselves 
uh, as they move into adulthood. So it's it's not only eliminating um, traditional barriers to sport, but it's providing access to programming that's going to help them develop as you know, future leaders, as uh, individuals that are interested in it, uh, advancing their sports career, um, or interested in pursuing community nonprofit uh, work in the future. And so the programming can really range um, in, in topics from, you know, helping youth deal with mental health challenges to understanding um, what's required of them in a professional sports career or interested in sports management, helping them understand what those possibilities might be. And, you know, dealing with um, food security, you know, helping the individuals that come into our, our bricks and mortar facility, um, ensuring that they feel safe, that they have uh, a place to network, build community um, and, um, and have fun. And I think that's a very important part and a role that we play uh, in in helping our, our city be be one of the best, most diverse cities in the world. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool because you've taken it beyond way beyond sports here. Right. And that even leads me to think about how even your thoughts on inclusion, diversity and equity is not, I mean, lots of us think of Maple Leaf sports and all we think about is the Raptors and the Maple Leafs and all the big name athletes. But it's all the people that are in your organization making all of it work, right? Like you, you just mentioned the food services and, and all of those people and, and even the vendors that work with you and, and all those people that are, are part of it, that becomes important to you as well. I think that that's really cool. And, and, and boy, that makes your, that makes your job even bigger. <laughs> you could say that, but we, we have, you know, a really wonderful ecosystem of people that are, sort of all moving in the same stream, so to speak. You know, we we are all sort of trying to ensure that what we're doing is aligned uh, as much as, as it can be, given the brands that we support and manage um, and trying to give back to the community in which we operate. Now, we've talked a lot about um, inclusion and all of that stuff and diversity. And, and, and sometimes I think... I mean, my mind sort of went to, you know, different races, different cultures, different upbringings, different backgrounds and making sure right. that's all equitable. But a lot of what we're talking about, too, in our mental health for performance and that that all creates wellness, right? Yeah. To feel that you have a say, you have a voice, no matter where you come from or who you are. If you are equitably on that start line, I'm loving that vision. That's a great image. I've not really thought about it that way before. But what about, you know, how do you get buy-in, you know, wellness-wise, when you're working in a sports world with big money at stake, big performance at stake, we're all happy when the Raptors win it all, but there's a lot going on in between where maybe we're not winning at all. So how does that play into maybe what you see, how you're hoping that even the entire organization will deal with some of that in making sure that wellness is important even when striving for excellence? I mean, I, I have a real opportunity because, you know, subsequent to joining MLSE, I had an opportunity to also assume accountability for our human resources, human capital practice. So so now I have accountability for people and inclusion at MLSE. And I think as part of, of that responsibility, you know, we are seeking to create the most thoughtful, safe, 
and enjoyable work environment for our employees as we can so that they can then deliver um, the best experience for our fans, for our partners. And if they are working in the team's front office uh, to, to the team uh, itself, to, to the players that they interact with. Um, and so it's, it's really part of building um, a focus on well-being into that ecosystem of support and um, and just overall high engagement for our workforce mm -hmm. and understanding that that contributes to, you know, your ability to deliver day in and day out the, the best that you can. Um, and I think what we've discovered in the equity, diversity, and inclusion work is that when you have individuals who are from marginalized communities, whether it's Black, Indigenous, LGBTQ+, it, you know, it can be any number of, of groups that those barriers are additive and they're cumulative, meaning that they face barriers before they even walk through the front door of your organization, and that impacts their ability to deliver. So what can we do to understand the barriers that they face um, in and outside of work? Because they bring it to work. You can't deny the state that someone comes into your organization each day. And as leaders, as people leaders, it's, it's our job to understand how to get the most out of our workforce and create the best environment for them to be who they are, uh, the best versions of themselves to, to, to give to the organization. And it's never, it's never ending uh, because you don't know, you, you, you don't know um, what someone faces day in and day out. Um, we have a better sense of that now. I think that is one of the um pluses that have come from the social justice awakening and awareness post the summer of 2020 is that these systemic barriers are real and they're compounded uh, and they contribute to the state of individuals that come into your workforce that come into our arenas um, and how do we bridge that gap um, so that number one we create the best work environment and number two the best live experience for those individuals, because there are fans, there are partners, there are friends, there are colleagues. It's just, it's really understanding um, more the humanity aspect of, of the people that we work with. That's amazing. You've led me right to that, who we are as people, even in a massive organization like we're talking about here. And, and it's possible. Obviously, you believe it's possible to get there. Are there some concrete ways now someone might be listening and going, well, how do you do that? How do you I know it's never ending, so there's no real answer. You can fix it like this. But, you know, how do you approach that or ask those that you're leading who are leading others? to do that with the employees or fans or, or athletes or whoever that walks into your buildings? It's it's really multi-pronged and um, there is a way to, to attack it. And then we have a few different frameworks that we use to, to look at you know, our, our work environment, but we approach it primarily from an employee experience standpoint. And we look end to end at the different experiences that our employees have, you know, from the moment that they apply for a role, we look at the experience of what it's like to apply it to our organization. What signals are we sending explicitly 
uh, subtly, um, unintended, you know, unintentionally, um, that tell people you're welcome. We want you to apply. And and the whole journey of a candidate experience to someone who's hired, um, onboarded. How do we make them feel like they belong at our organization and feel a part of it and see um, aspects of of themselves reflected in the organization and in leadership so that they know, okay, I like, there's a pathway for me here. I see people that look like me have similar experiences to me. Um, and that, that I can, I can grow in this organization. Um, and so we do a focus on that experience and really breaking it down to understand, okay, is, you know, is that experience easier depending on your gender? Is it easier depending on your race? Like what groups are we not reaching because we put in these systemic structural barriers that we don't even think about, but exist? How accessible are we to those with disabilities uh, in thinking about sports and entertainment uh, as a possible career, just like uh, any, any other segment of our of our population. So we do uh, take a systematic approach to dealing with it. It is it is not something we think is impossible by any means. I think we'll be employed forever. But uh, we do approach it from an experience standpoint, because then it really does level the playing ground. Like who who would argue with you to say that you deserve a better experience than I do. Like it's very hard for someone to articulate that out loud. You might think it, but very few people would say, no, I don't think that should be. Most people would say, yeah, I, I get that. I can relate to that. Why wouldn't we all have the same experience? And so we agree. And we really just take a look at, okay, well, how do we get there? How do we really get there to ensure that that is the case? And that is really at the heart of the work that we do. And then, of course, you put in place some governance and some structure so that you have a a means of using data to support the efforts that you're doing to understand and measure whether it's working um, and then to report to to your stakeholders on on your progress. Do you have to be careful that you're patient with progress in this. It's such a big thing we're trying to do and and that you are that cog and, and MLSE is a big, a big player, but um, it's, it's going to take time, isn't it? Yes and no. I think there is um, always a need to ensure that you are focused on your priorities because you can dilute the impact that you have if you're not laser focused on trying to achieve a few priorities and do them well. And so, you know, I think, you know, everyone has a good heart and is well-intentioned. I I do believe that. I I do, I am an uh, an optimist by nature. So (laughs) I do look for the good uh, in people first. And uh, it's really uh, taking that, and helping them understand that we can achieve some things in time, but in order to do that, we first have to tackle the urgent priorities first. And then you have to be a good storyteller. You know, you have to bring people along the journey and help them understand the narrative around why this now versus something else um, and how that journey um, 
you know, help them understand the journey as well and, um, and influence people to, to join, to join you in the effort. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of joining, you had people in the organization, in the teams that you are dealing with and, and all of that who have gone before you. Are there some that people that you look up to that you feel already have started this journey? Um, you are obviously taking it way further with this position that's been created, which is so exciting. But would you speak to some people that have come before you that have had this intention as well? I think there was momentum and energy and interest before I started MLSE. And I really just found a way to harness it and, um, and, and point it in a direction that would drive the impact everybody was hoping to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, our team, our team presidents and our team general managers are very involved in this work. People, um, you know, probably don't think of it in that, in that regard, but they, they too are individuals who are leading organizations and want to drive impact. Yes, of course, they're they're wanting to win championships because that's that's our job. <laughs> um, but but we also recognize that collectively our portfolio and platform is very special, and that you know everyone recognizes that opportunity to drive impact and amplify. Um, uh, the messages of of our workforce, of our players, when it matters most to us, and and we don't take that for granted. So, you know, was that happening before I started? Absolutely. Um, you know, could I isolate it to one or two people? I I, I couldn't. But I, I think that you know, visibly, uh, there were um, signals and and a demonstration of commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion before before Terry Dennis Davies joined MLSE, for sure. Um, I mean, I think one example is, you know, uh, the support for um, the social justice movement in the summer of 2020 and Black Lives Matter. Our, our, our Raptors team was playing in Tampa. They were not here in, in Canada. And they felt very um, committed to demonstrating and signaling visibly their support as individuals, as players, um, and part of a league that was also very supportive. And so they wrapped their buses in Tampa uh, in the Black Lives Matter banner and were very proud to, to drive around in Tampa to demonstrate both uh, globally, but within Tampa, their, their commitment as the only Canadian team, you know, as part of the NBA. So. Yeah. That must've made you so proud to even see that and to be able to be a part of that. That's right. Well, it was before I started, but I guess uh, so, yes, yeah. yes, it would be, um, it, it would be a source of pride for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it, it, you started in COVID. I did. I did. I, um, I started in October of, of 2020 and we were, in and out of lockdowns for a, a long time after that. Um, so, you know, lots of vaccination clinics and bringing Toronto back to its feet, food drives, and just a real sense of community and giving back um, in, in the, really the first year that I was with MLSE. Mm-hmm. And then um, participating in, in seeing uh, sports and entertainment come back to life was a real pleasure. Like it's very, you know, you don't join um, this industry in, in, in 
when it shut down ever. So, I mean, it was a first for everybody, um, but definitely for someone coming into the industry and seeing that and then seeing it come alive is, is quite rewarding. So my first game was a lot of fun. I bet it. it was. Um, I don't know if you're ready for our rapid fire questions. I'll try. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, describe a scenario when you had to think on your feet. Yeah. Uh, so all the time uh, because of what I do for a living. I'm in human resources. And anytime you stand up in a town hall or have a fireside chat, you are getting questions that are, you know, you haven't been able to prepare for. And so um, you know, I also am a lawyer uh, by education and um, and have participated in many moot court competitions and you get questions fired at you, you have to be able to respond to. So preparation, but uh, you got to be ready to synthesize your responses in a way that people get it. What is your happy place if you have one? My happy place is by the water, wherever that may be. So I enjoy the water. Awesome. How do you define success? Um, I'm quite a driven person. I, I define success by enjoying what I do and, and feeling like I'm contributing. That's cool. Tell me about a time where you felt underqualified. So I uh, had one of my uh, managers ask, this is when I moved to Canada, actually asked me if I wanted to take a role in a specialized area of expertise and uh and i had done aspects of of the job um in in other roles but didn't have a dedicated role and i said no and then um you know uh over over time um understood that no i i had done enough of the job that i could stretch into it and that this individual had enough uh, faith that I could do that in my capability. And uh, so, but that was the, the only time that I had ever said no um, before really understanding why someone believed in, in my abilities before, before I did. Yeah. Thank goodness for other people, right? Yeah, for sure. Tell me about a time where you felt undervalued. Well, you know, I, you feel that sort of, uh, you know, in, in moments uh, all the time right? Like you, you sort of, because you, you want to drive impact, especially in the work that I am involved in. It's, it's all about driving impact and, and changing the way we, we do things. And so um, all the time, all the time um, you, it's not a feeling of being undervalued, but um, that you're not understood and that you are not influencing in the way that you you want to. And so I think it's really not as much about being undervalued as, as not understood, uh, not, not, not really understanding what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. How do you have conversations with people who have more power than you? That is, um, that's really interesting. I don't, uh, I don't think in that way. I am curious by nature and I'm curious about people always have been, uh, so I like to talk to people and understand what makes them tick. And regardless of what position you hold, I find most people like to talk about themselves, uh, especially if the other person is truly interested in, in understanding who they are. So I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. Uh, I talk to everyone and uh, I don't I don't actually think of it in terms of power. 
Not, not in that regard. Yeah, I love that. It seems as though mental health is about things you cannot see. When do you see it? I see it in, well, I see it in people, in, in things that they don't, it's the unsaid. It's sort of unfinished sentences. It's the look as though they want to talk, but will not say those words. Um, I see it in myself more and I'm willing to share with my teams when I'm facing a tremendous amount of stress. That is something I've never dealt with, like the pandemic. You know, I had accountability for uh, aspects of health and safety in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I had to tell my team, like, this is craziness. Like, this is really stressful um, to be calm, give advice. Um, in a, in a space that affects us all and we don't have the answers. So, yeah, I, I think it's not a, it's not a perfect science, but it's really leaning in when people are tending to be closed off and leaning back and, and seeing those signals. I like that. What in your opinion is the biggest change in people post pandemic? Yeah, I think it's uh, an openness. I, I, I truly believe in openness to talking about mental health more openly. I, I really do believe that. And I, 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 I love it. So we talk about it openly in our family, my kids, it's, it's not unusual for us to talk about if we think we need to talk to someone. And I think globally, I think there's just more awareness that these challenges are intense and they affect us in so many ways and they affect a lot more people than we think people yeah. that yeah. we're working with yeah. and yeah. how do we do a better job of, of helping yeah, for sure. What do people want from their jobs right now? I think they want to come to work. Um, they want to work hard. They want to know that there are people that they can both uh, relate to, colleague to colleague, grow networks and community, that they can rely on their manager for support to grow professionally, and that the organization is going to provide access to to those opportunities they want flexibility they want to be able to work from home um have flexibility to have that space not get into the grind again of you know commuting uh unless they really want to be in the office mm -hmm. um they they also have needs um it could be uh, elder care, it could be child care, um, it could be a caretaker to anyone. Um, and previously, maybe not so much flexibility to do that. So it adds a lot of stress. And they want a place to um, be themselves, be authentic and feel like they have that they belong. And finally, who are two or three people who influenced you? And how did they impact your life? For sure, my mother. Um, who I think rightly or wrongly, you know, made us all believe that we could do whatever we wanted to uh, at a very early age. And so, you know, I, I don't think in terms of limitation, I think about possibilities. And, um, and my father, I think, was a strong supporter in, in those beliefs with my mother. And we we're very fortunate to have that leadership and, and guidance from, from our parents. And, you know, I, I tend to be influenced by the people that I, I meet day in and day out. I, I do believe in 
in interactions are not by, by mistake that, you know, you meet people, you have opportunities to learn about them and grow from them. And maybe it's just one moment that'll never be repeated, but you do have an opportunity to learn. And it just depends on whether you take advantage of it or not. So I've been influenced by a lot of people actually. And today she has passed that influence on to us. What an incredible opportunity Terry Dennis Davies has in her work as Chief People and Inclusion Officer with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment to bring equity, diversity, and inclusion to the forefront of everything they do. And in turn, to influence the rest of us to do the same. And as she said, the journey and the work she puts in continues every day, especially when it comes to mental health for performance. So thank you to Pinnacle, your recruitment firm that has been proudly on the job for the past 20 years for bringing this episode to us all. And the next time you're watching the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Raptors, the Argos, or maybe you're planning a trip to the largest city in Canada and you want to be entertained, we will thank Terry Dennis Davies for being a part of it. I'm Michelle Sawatsky-Coop. Thanks for listening.